So as Alicia named for us already, today is the first Sunday of Advent, the four weeks leading up to Christmas. And along with Lent in the spring, which leads up to Easter, Advent is one of the two high points in the church calendar. And there's a wisdom in that rhythm. I recently heard Advent described as a mini Lent, Mm. which I liked um, because instead of all of the merriment and holiday parties that we tend to have around this time of year, Originally, Advent started as more of a somber um, and prayerful time of fasting. It's a little different. Holding together the the darkness with the light, as we're talking about today. Yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think it's really interesting that we have these reflective periods leading up to the high points of both Easter and Christmas. But throughout the year uh, here at BLC, we visit many different texts across the Bible. But every year in Advent, we come back to a few familiar texts the birth narratives of Jesus in Matthew and Luke's Gospels, and the Hebrew poetry that they creatively attach to Jesus. These are scriptures that hold up Jesus as Emmanuel, or God with us. And there's something really formative and important about these texts and rhythms. Yeah, Advent is, has ended up being a favorite time of year for, for my family. Um, we're, we're more intentional with... Um, like uh, things that we do around the dinner table with the kids. Uh, we're more intentional just, I, I, th- I think I just find myself praying more often during the four weeks of Advent. And so um, one of our thoughts is we want Brownline Church to be an aid to folks who would like to use these four weeks of Advent to build some more intentional rituals. Doing that yearly, setting aside this time to just be extra intentional, but it is just so good. A lot of times what we say here is that um, uh, f- to, to grow in faith is not about getting more information. It's about formation. And so it takes like doing things, you know, every year at the same time of year, you kind of build a routine and that can really, that can really do wonders for your spiritual health or for the spiritual health of, of your family or your, your household. So we encourage you to set aside um, like a time once a week here in December to uh, what, we're, what we're offering is our Advent mealtime prayers, and those are going to go out uh, every week on Sunday. Um, if you're on our email newsletter list, you can get them there, or we'll release them on Instagram or in, in our Discord chat here that we use on Sundays. Um, and it, th- these are meant to be done with uh, family members or with friends, uh, with roommates, uh, people you know from Brownline Church. Set aside some time once a week in December to do this. For a lot of us, I think we mostly feel like prayer sounds great, but it feels a little awkward or difficult, and maybe that's because it, something, uh, a, a way to pray uh, that makes sense to us wasn't modeled for us as kids, or maybe there were a lot of ways to pray that were modeled for us as kids, but they no longer work for us. And so uh, Advent Mealtime Prayers that Brownline is releasing, we think it can help with that. We think it can model prayer in a way that can work for you. Um, there's, It just takes one person to lead the group, like you read through the text that we will send out. If you like to sing together, there's an element of that. If you have uh, Advent wreaths or candles, you, could, there's a, you can light them, just like we have here. Uh, or you, you, know, you can just use it as a launching point and make it your own. Uh, but we want, to, uh, we want to equip everybody with uh, things that can make prayer a sensible and, uh, and, and go-to uh, routine this December. So watch for those. We'll release those every Sunday. And if you want more, uh, if you want... <laughs> but a, wait. There's more. <laughs> If you want some type of daily Advent ritual, uh, we would recommend a resource put out by Kate Bowler. She has a devotional called Bless the Advent We Actually Have. Um, and you can access this online for free. It's katebowler.com slash advent is where you can find it. 
Um, but there's daily reflections there, scripture passages to read, some blessings that she's written over people. Um, so yeah, that's another really great resource too. Kate Buller has been a frequent quotation for us. So yes. uh, yeah, she's great. Perfect. Well, why don't we get into the scripture mm-hmm. for today? Mm-hmm. I would love to read through this text um, that it's traditional to return to in the first week of Advent, and that is Isaiah 9. Isaiah is the Hebrew prophet that Jesus quotes the most frequently in the Gospels, so we will put that on the screen, and I will read that for us now. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders. And he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness. From this time onward and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. For those who walked in darkness, light has shined on them. I mean, how many, how many songs like across the Pantheon have used such like imagery, right? Mm-hmm. Light shining into darkness. There is a reason to hope. The hope may be just born, right? It, it, a child is born to us. It's in its infancy, but it will grow and mature. That hope will do. The things that bury us in despair will not leave us feeling trapped forever, right? They, they won't have the last word. Um, yeah, this, this, the Isaiah 9, uh, that, that hope that was uh, attached to Jesus as the, the earliest followers of Jesus grabbed at this Hebrew scripture and said, this, this is what we're, uh, what we're holding to. It's at the core of the Christmas message, God coming to humanity in Jesus, the incarnation. God is not far away. God comes and is among humanity. Uh, there's a lot to say. Uh, about the social application of this, and, I, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I wonder if before we go there, Haley, um, what if we could share some personal examples of light shining in darkness? I wonder what comes to mind for you. Yeah, I mean, for me, a story comes to mind that literally is about light, like a physical light shining in the wow. darkness. Okay. Um, so I remember some years ago, I was in the midst of a depressive episode. Mm. And it was just a really particularly tough season. Mm. Um, It was really easy in that season to disengage and isolate. Apathy was really big. Mm. Um, So when I wasn't working or with people, I was typically at home in our tiny apartment that didn't get a lot of light. Mm. And one day, Andy, my husband, um, came home and I had just been sitting, I hadn't bothered to turn on the light when the sun went down, so I had just been sitting in the dark for hours And all he said very gently was, how about we turn on the light? Mm. And we had a conversation about what I needed in that moment to feel supported and what we needed ahead and how I was going to keep moving forward. But I don't don't think he knows this, but I think about that question all the time now, especially when I'm having tough days, just the simple question. Can we turn on the light? How about we turn on the light? Wow. And it meant so much to just have someone who was joining me in the midst of the darkness and who was suggesting ways to help let in some light because I needed both of those things. Wow, wow. You know, the, the ancient Hebrews who write Isaiah 9 know nothing about, you know, seasonal affect <laughs> on our moods and things like that. But God, it just, it all, it, 
it, it all just feels so true. Like light and darkness is not just a metaphor. Mm -hmm. It's it, like there, there's something really, really deep that goes on. Our, our, our bodies, our whole selves react to light. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and even that line of who lived in a land of deep darkness, like who sometimes lived in a land. Yeah, it's not just you're not yeah. just like the yeah you're not just there for a season. You're you living in the land of darkness. Yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. Um, How about you? Do you have a story that comes to mind? Uh, I think of um, I. Uh, was in school for education, and I think of my time student teaching, um, which was definitely a season of darkness for me. Um, I was going to a place every day, the, the school that I was placed at for student teaching, where I felt like a failure every single day. And um, it didn't start off that way, but boy, by like three or four weeks in, mm -hmm. every day I would get up and I would just dread going to the school because I felt like a failure in it. It wasn't actually because of um, the kids that I was teaching. It was because of the adults that I was around. And um, it was, I mean, there's, this is sort of a, a long story that's maybe a story for another time, but through um, some bad luck, uh, I ended up with having this distorted view about who I was, that I was this, like, everybody seemed to think that I was this flippant, authority-flouting, um, like, young kid who, like, you can't, you can't teach me, which is just... I, like it's such bad luck because anybody who knows me like knows that my um, my flaw I have plenty of flaws like I'm certainly not going to pretend that I don't have flaws but they're like I, my flaws are I'm perfectionistic and I'm micromanaging not that I'm flippant or like mm -hmm. you know I'm I'm too much of a rule follower not an authority flouter uh, but this is what ended up happening and I. It, I, I, I was so trapped by this feeling of like, there's this story about me that I have no ability to control. I, I want to rage. I want to, you know, like, I, I, I don't want to go anymore. I want to I just leave. I want to I exit this situation and just opt out of student teaching, but I had to go through. And, and all of the people who had any, you know, authority over me were, you know, believed me to be this person that I wasn't. And I remember, like, you know, feeling... Even, even though it felt like it was so unfounded that I'm that person, like, it, it, it makes your way into you. Like, you ask, mm -hmm. like, so, am, you know, am I lying to myself? Am I who they say I am? And, and you know, still to this day, I think that there are, there are wounds there that I picked up. Like, when there's a story about me being told that I can't quite control, I can't help but think, well, I'm, I, must be, I'm, I must be lying to myself. That must be the truth. And it all kind of stemmed from this, this darkness period in student teaching. I remember uh, my, my now wife, Kezia, um, she, her apartment was um, down the street from the school that I was in. So I would just go to her apartment after like, you know, three o'clock when school would get out and I would just sit on her couch and cry and <laughs> yell and say four-letter words. And uh, yeah, I remember just feeling so... Uh, stuck and, and trapped. And I remember her listening. And, and I, remember, I remember taking a walk with a good friend of mine around my apartment in Rogers Park. I still remember like the streets that we were crossing. And, and he just sort of like spoke over me who he saw that I was. He spoke it like from God's perspective, sort of like the song we sang earlier of like, like I'm going to speak on behalf of God what I see when I see you. So that, that replay in your brain of like, oh my gosh, am I this person that I, I don't think I am, but everyone seems to think I am. 
and it would just break the, the loop, break the cycle of that. And I remember that being so powerful to have that spoken over me, prayed over me. I see who you really are. Mm -hmm. I see that you are trying. I see you know, the, 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 the person you're trying to be and the man you're trying to become. And that helped me imagine a future that, that, could, that could be out of this. And, and it, it was hard to, you know, to push through the dread of every morning being, going back to this place. But I think it was being listened to and being prayed for that helped me get through that. Yeah. yeah. I wonder, um, for people who are listening, if a story comes to mind for you of light shining into darkness at some point in your life, mm -hmm. I think a lot of what you're describing here, these feelings of being stuck or this isn't who I am or yeah. um, lack of control, guilt, shame, all of these things are, seem like they're common yeah. factors in a lot of the stories Regret. that we hold. Yeah, yes. yeah, 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 totally, totally. And then, and then I love your pull of like the, you know, living in that darkness. It's sort of like, you know this because you, you spend, you spend an extended period there. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's your residence for a while. Yeah. Um, as a resource for yeah. us, for this season of Advent, Vince, you suggested the writing of Monica Coleman, yeah. um, who's a womanist theologian, and I'd love for you to first kind of segue so that you can tell us a bit more about her and how her experiences help shape our view of Advent this year. Yeah, so um, uh, Monica Coleman, uh, who, yeah, as you said, uh, womanist or, or black feminist theologian, uh, the title of her 2008 book that made a big influence on me is uh, called Making a Way Out of No Way. Uh, this is a phrase that black Americans have taught to the wider world. It's often associated with Dr. King, with the civil rights movement. Uh, PBS did a, uh, a, a long history led by uh, Henry Louis Gates from, um, from Harvard uh, about the, the history of sort of uh, black civil rights in America, and it was called Making a Way Out of No Way. Um, so that's her, that, that, that is, she kind of takes that line for her book. And basically what she's doing is unpacking the social and religious experience of black women in particular to develop a picture of God. If we start with the experience of black women in America, what, is, what do we get with a picture of God? And she lands on this phrase, God makes a way out of no way. Who is God? Where in life might we recognize God? God is the, the call and the force of love that makes ways out of no way. If you are feeling stuck or trapped uh, in that shame spiral, residing in darkness, but then in spite of it, you carry on somehow, that was God. That's where we recognize God. That's how we, that's how we identify who God is and, what, and where God lives. It's the, the pull that lovingly calls you forward, and then it's the push that gives you the courage to cooperate with that, that pull and the push, making a way out of no way. So, you know, like my student teaching experience, I think one of the reasons that her writing so speaks to me is it absolutely describes how being listened to and being prayed for pulled me out of that darkness mm -hmm. and pushed me to, you know, to choose to believe something different about myself. Um, my first ever encounters with, uh, with God, where I've shared uh, plenty of times here at church about where my mom died of cancer when I was 15 years old, and somehow I was moved through that. I was taught to grieve, even though I was 15 years old, and most people don't grieve the death of their parents until their 40s, right? Uh, I found that a, a way was made out of no way. So, uh, yeah, I think that, 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 that to me, it just feels like such a useful phrase. And I wonder, like, how does that, do, I feel like it maps onto your experience too, mm -hmm. no? Yeah? Yeah, and actually, I've been listening to the audiobook version of a book called Remember Love by Remember Cleo Love. Wade. 
um, and it's a book of poetry and essays, and she reads it so beautifully, so I'd even recommend... Uh, Cleo Wade is the Cleo name? Cleo okay. Wade, I've yes. I've read Cleo Wade before. Mm -hmm. Remember Love. Mm -hmm. um, and she, part of it, writes about the old Motel 6 slogan, we'll leave the light on for you. <laughs> The Motel but, 6? Yes, we'll leave the light on for you. Um, and this was a reminder, she says, that we can actually leave an internal light on, a voice of love huh. that calls us back home to ourselves leave even when things seem dark. Love so it. it's this reminder of even when you feel like you are in the dark and there's no mm. light shining whatsoever, you can leave the light on for yourself. Mm. Mm. And I think sometimes this idea of encountering God can feel kind of vague or it can carry some religious baggage if you've been in unhelpful faith settings before. But I think any time that we are able to look inward and find a hopeful light, that is an experience of the divine. Yes, yes, yeah. And sometimes we need help from others for, um, in order to find that light that's left on. I think we both had that in our stories. It's this experience of a hopeful light within that can allow us to participate in efforts of justice and goodness in the world, kind of that push and pull language that you're using. Making a way out of no way brings to mind for me just the bravery it takes to keep moving, mm. to keep remembering love, to keep looking for that light, even when the way ahead feels near impossible. Mm. And I'm really, really grateful that making a way is done in community and that we don't carry the weight of it alone. Yes, yeah. And I mean, this is one of the things that, um, like, one thing that can truly connect all people is that like all people are going to experience some sort of suffering, some sort of darkness at some point. We will walk in darkness, we will reside in darkness at some point in our life. And if we can embrace that, it can be incredibly connecting across experiences, across socioeconomic class, across backgrounds. Uh, that is something that can truly uh, unite all of us. And I think it also encourages us to acknowledge that we don't all face those experiences of walking in darkness in equal number or in equal like frequency. It's uh, it's not the same for all of us. And so, um, so like uh, another thing that Monica Coleman would bring in as as somebody who would be called a liberation theologian, we sang. Uh, this, you know, this this uh, remembrance of the Hebrew story of God liberating um, the she Monica Coleman would say that the God of the Bible is especially on the side of those who walk in darkness more than others for systemic reasons. So, if you are marginalized in our wider world, if you are oppressed in our wider world, again, she's drawing particular from the experience of Black women in America as the focus of her work. So she wants to she wants to highlight that this is the great thing that can connect us all that we. We, we, we need to find God making a way out of no way. And for some experiences in our world, because of, there's injustice, some will have to experience that more than others. And they actually become the authorities on God as a result of that. God's salvation from this definition is not like some enlightened believer who's bringing unbelief or bringing belief to an unbeliever, but rather it is somebody who has known dehumanization, who can show that I can bring personhood. God's salvation is bringing humanization, personhood, Mm -hmm. to those who normally wouldn't get it or who haven't gotten it. And that's a really different way to fill out a picture of like, what does it mean that God is saving? What does it mean that, that when that light shines in the darkness and our experience of that? I mean, like, you know, we think about our stories, our dances with despair and depression. I mean, that's not like a, that's not like a, oh, you were believing wrong and then now you believe correctly. No, it's like you were in despair. You didn't feel like there was a way forward for mm -hmm. you. And now there's a light. Mm -hmm. So that to me is, that's a more moving picture of what it even means to be saved. Yeah. And 
traditionally this first week of Advent represents hope. Mm -hmm. And I think it kind of sets the foundation for all of Advent representing hope. Um, but in a podcast I was listening to, my podcast listening and audiobook listening, if you thought it was a lot before, now just now walking around holding again, a new yeah. <laughs> So many podcasts. Um, but in a recent interview uh, with Cole Arthur Riley, who's another one of our favorites, uh, she talked about how hope can even be wielded against oppressed people mm. as a way to mm. placate and silence suffering mm. in reality. And so she talks about the need that mm. I think aligns with this idea of saving, this need to resist that narrative and reclaim the language of hope, that the hope of scripture is a hope that has to be inherently liberating, and it's a hope that has to humanize. Yeah, I mean, I, I, Isaiah 9, uh, as, as we read it, uh, we've, you know, we've focused on this sort of opening, um, uh, the light will shine in darkness, the, on those who walked in darkness, light will shine. Um, and, then, and then where it goes from that is it fills out this picture of authority and power in society. Wh what is going to be born to us? A wonderful counselor, a mighty God, a prince of peace who will confront the injustices that oppress some more than others. And, and you know, from the Hebrews there, uh, that uh, when, when this is first written, the, the, the book of Isaiah, this is probably, uh, I think scholars would say it's 500 to 700 years before Jesus, and uh, and those those Hebrew people at that time they're experiencing uh, a a massive uh, crisis in their identity as a people. They're uh, these foreign uh, empires that are much larger and more powerful than their people are. The Assyrian Empire and then later on the Babylonian Babylonian Empire, and they are being violently attacked. And then there's this pressure to comply with those empires and assimilate their distinct practices and convictions. And they are longing for some sort of like leader to, to be just and to righteously lead them because they're that oppressed people, right? And then later on, this is taken, as we mentioned, this is one of the scriptures that's in, uh, attached to Jesus by the earliest followers of Jesus. And in their context, being under, under the thumb of another empire, the Roman Empire, and, and it's no surprise that they attach the story of Isaiah 9 to Jesus to, to tell, they're, they're sort of like, the, they live in a world where they, uh, there would be stories of noble births of the Roman Caesar, the king who is going to squash all problems at, with their mighty army and hold the people together because anybody who steps out of line quickly gets violently you know, executed or, or pushed away. And, they, and they, take, they take that context and they say, oh, you want to hear about a noble birth? We're going to tell you the noble birth of this alternative king that is not a king that, that is uh, uh, predicated on violence, but a king that's predicated on nonviolence. And so it's like woven into these stories are, the, again, we can, we can all find connection around this idea of making a way out of no way, but in particular, we have to start with the stories of those who experience that more than others because of systemic stuff. Yeah, and if we're, if we're really um, focusing in on humanizing here too. I mean, the Christmas story is about humanizing. Yeah. It's humanizing God. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great. That's a great poll. Um. So, like, okay. So here's because this is a question. I think that this leads me to ask is how do we represent cr the Christmas story in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our friend groups as humanizing, especially when, um, like, I, I feel like there are two usual like. Um, 
I don't know, like uh, stump speeches about Christmas that I'm tired of. And one would be like, you know, the dehumanizing consumerism that's everywhere, right? Then it's just pressuring us. And we talked about societal burnout for the last several months. And, you know, like talk about burnout is the, the Christmas season getting, have you, have you bought all the gifts for everybody? Are, is your, are, are your, are your uh, decorations up? Because if your neighbor's decorations up and yours are not, well, I mean, how Christmassy are you, you know? Um, do, did you say the right thing? Did you, did you wish somebody Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays and now you're a bad person and you need to make sure that you, on Instagram you're like signaling the right virtues? Like, oh my gosh, it's overwhelming all of the pressure. And so there's this, there's this dehumanizing uh, sense on that side that, that is pulling us in. But then the loudest Christian voices want to talk more about are you believing the right things rather than are we, are we humanizing people? Are we bringing personhood to those who don't? How do we, how do we represent the Christmas story in a different way? I, I mean, there's, I want it to be about neither of those things. <laughs> what a simple little question. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think first in this season... We can't fall into despair or apathy because there is a light that shines in the darkness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we also can't over-spiritualize or holiday cheer our way out of the very obvious dehumanizing that's taking place from a local to a global level right now. Mm. So it's a little like what you were saying before of part of built into this high point in the calendar has to be darkness. Like we, we have to hold them both at the same time. Yes, yeah. yeah, because the darkness is very real and there's a light. We can't have one or the other, or I guess one without the other. Yeah. And so embracing this middle ground and holding that two things can be true, I think helps us actually imagine a hopeful way ahead um, I think of all of the he's the reason for the season decor <laughs> and yard signs that I've seen all the time. You're, you're a treasure trove today. You um, pull out Motel oh, 6 and, and he's the, the reason, reason for, for the season. I'm very impressed. Yeah. Um, but I actually think that it may be a helpful reminder okay. when yeah. we associate that message with establishing justice, peace, and righteousness, which is what the Isaiah passage is talking about. Yeah. So if that's actually the underlying message of the reason for the season, we're brought together by a need to establish justice, peace, and righteousness and act in ways that are aligned with that call, like what is most peaceful, what is most hopeful for yeah. all people, yeah. then that I'm okay with that language. And get behind that. That's good. That's good. So one more um, kind of piece that is important for uh, Monica Coleman, our guide here, that we're, as we're thinking about God making a way out of no way, um, the, a question that we should ask is, in what manner does God make ways out of no way? Because if we teach ourselves to expect from God something that's not based in reality, we will set ourselves up for disappointment. Uh, for Coleman, the fact that faith leaders like pastors, so we're putting us on blast here, uh, the fact that pastors a lot of time don't teach people satisfying answers to that question of like what to expect in the way that God will show up and make a way. Um, but we, we, we sort of, we, if we don't offer satisfying questions, we set people up for disappointment and that's on us. Uh, that's what gradually kills so many people's experience of faith, especially black women as she's uh, focused on. So uh, one expression that I've heard that captures Coleman's view, um, which uh, we'll sometimes refer to here at church as an open and relational view of God and life. Um, the, the phrase that I really like is God comes in breakthroughs, not break-ins. God comes in breakthroughs, not or in breakthroughs, not break in. Uh, so Jesus is a breakthrough of God, not a break in of God, as though God is sort of 
outside of time in, in some timeless throne room and, and occasionally comes to visit our experience of life. Uh, but God is usually over here in a distant, you know, cosmic heavenly realm. Um, God is breaking through. It's sort of like a, 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 an emergence from below rather than a, a dictating from on, on high. Uh, a powerful moment in prayer, if I have something, is a breakthrough of God. When I feel the presence of God, it's a breakthrough of God. When we're singing together and you maybe get goosebumps or you kind of, you know, you feel a little bit of, of a tear because that lyric was very beautiful or the music kind of was soaring inside of you. That's a breakthrough of God, not a break in of God or the civil rights movement of the 60s is a breakthrough in God, of God rather than a break in of God. So does that distinction feel important to you, Haley? I'm, I feel like it could just feel like semantics to some people, but wh wh why does it feel important to you? So it's helpful for me because it shows that God is further entering into circumstances with us and partnering with us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, it's not an escape from circumstances that we're kind of just left passively waiting for. Um, but God working from within is this really empowering realization, I think, for us individually and communally. And it's very much in line with a lot of liberation theologies, um, that making a way out of no way is more an emergence. It's this ground up. It's yeah. active. It's participatory. It's participatory, right? Yeah. Because yeah, God is here with us. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's not this all-controlling God that could just be withholding justice. Like God can, but chooses not to, that yeah. type of mentality. Instead, with that being such a harmful message, this feels like a really redemptive way to see God's partnership with us. That's the piece that makes it feel most important to me. It's I, I can't believe in the God who is like outside of the world and occasionally decides to intervene, but frustratingly not always. <laughs> like the that God doesn't feel worthy of worship and it kind of breaks down in the face of modern science. So I, I find much more attractive and plausible this idea that uh, God is always present with us in every moment, always trying to make a way out of no way and inviting us into that. But of course, the conditions of life are insanely complex and they're like interconnected and, and sometimes intractable, right? You know, like we can't snap away the, the worst injustices that uh, affect the people on behalf of uh, whom Monica Coleman is writing, black women in America, right? We can't just snap away those issues. And so, you know, as, as Jesus taught, Jesus taught his disciples to live and act and pray for God's will to be done because God's will is not always done, right? We live in a broken world, it's often observed. And so a God who could break in and just like change that if God wanted to, but just doesn't seem to want to all of the time, that just sort of feels like it's sort of an obsession with control. Mm -hmm. And I think when, when most of our pictures of uh, who God is or what God is about are being drawn for us by uh, people who experience a lot of control, white men, for example, then it's unsurprising that that would be our default picture of God, right? And so that's why I think it's so beautiful and helpful to start where Monica Coleman starts with, start with the experience of a people who do not know control in that sort of systemic or societal sense. What does it mean then that God looks like if we start from there? And that seems to be where Jesus starts. Jesus begins showing us what God is like in a stable amongst the poor, being born not in a palace, you know, with the, the, the high and mighty, but among the lowly. And that's what we sing in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel every week. So it's like, this is a much more, it feels like a much more reasonable and reliable way to understand what is God like. And it locates our expectation of God differently then, right? Like we expect God to 
to, to do something from the ground up, to emerge, to you know, invite us into participating with that. To me, that just feels so much more trustworthy. Mm-hmm. And, and it feels like when, when things are happening that feel intractable, or when evil happens, or suffering happens, or injustice happens, or, or just you know, like I'm in a, an extended period of darkness, I don't have to wonder, God, where are you? Why won't you jump in and save me? I'm looking around right now and saying, God, where are you right now to pull me out of this, to break through in this, you know, shine a light in this darkness. That is just, to me, that, that's so much more, it, I mean, it, it makes so much more sense to me, but it's yeah. also, it feels more reliable to me and more trustworthy to me. That's a God that's worthy of me singing songs of worship to and praying to. Yeah, I mean, and this shapes so much too. It shapes what we view as miraculous. It yeah. shapes yeah. the words that we pray and that we sing. And I, I think we can, st- I mean, I know that we still pray and sing things like, how long, oh God, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. where are you? Mm-hmm. But it changes the answers and if the God process is breaking of through. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, 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 yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Uh, well, any, I mean, as we're, we're kind of leaving Isaiah 9 for today, before we turn to some other of the Advent scriptures next week, any final words? Yeah, so with this Advent theme of returning back to scriptures, words that we've returned to year after year, um, I've been listening to a lot of voices lately, like Trisha Hersey and Cole Arthur Riley and Cleo Wade, who really stress the importance of looking back Mm. and having memory as a fuel to move forward. Mm. And I really think that this is the work of the prophet that we've kind of been talking about today. That prophetic voices in scripture, in our histories, in our society today, help us see both the beauty and the destruction of our past so that we can move toward a more hopeful future. It's another both and. You need to be able to see both so that you can see both of those playing out ahead of you and how do we imagine more hope and more beauty. Mm. But as God continually breaks through, we can participate with that presence by remembering and imagining well. We can remember the light that we've experienced, but we can also lament the injustice and hopelessness, and we can imagine light breaking through in new ways. And I think that this is really a call, a call to listen for and follow the prophetic voices that are beckoning us to new possibilities. Mm, I like that. And that, I mean, that, that's sort of the, the, the wisdom behind Advent being a, uh, you're sort of doing two things at once. You're remembering God coming to us in Jesus, mm-hmm. And then you are turning and anticipating, hoping, praying for God to continue to come by God's Spirit. Remembering God coming in Jesus, hoping for God to come by Jesus' Spirit today. And yeah, I mean, we, we, without the remembering peace, we are severely limited mm-hmm. in that regard. And so I guess, I guess that's, my, um, that's maybe where I want to leave us in terms of prayer um, in, in sort of holding those two things together of remembering and expectation expecting. Um, when we feel crushed or despairing beyond our control or when we feel unacceptable or like, you know, like uh, in, some, in some of my story that I'm sharing about my time of um, student teaching, part of what, what moved things, what shined a light in my darkness was to just sort of accept that I was considered unacceptable in this place. And in spite of that, I would be okay. And, and there was something about that, you know, like, th- this, is, this, is what we are, this is what we are hoping for God to, God's spirit to, to do for us now. And the way that we activate that hope for us, the way that we learn to pray in this moment for the next is to look back and to remember in, any of the stories that have shown us God 
shining a light in darkness in the past. So that is uh, what we'll do today for uh, a prayer. Um, I'm going to lead us in uh, a breathing prayer uh, for this morning, and then and then we'll just kind of be quiet for a little bit. And I might sort of see see if if God is is leading us to pray in any other way. So what I want you to do is get comfortable in your seat as we do this together. <clears throat> And for our breathing prayers, we're going to repeat something several times on an inhale, and then we will exhale and repeat something else. So it's going to go like this. We're going to say, uh, on the inhale, God, you came to us in Jesus. And then in the exhale, we're going to say, and your spirit comes to us today. So on a deep inhale, God, you came to us in Jesus. And exhale, and your spirit comes to us today. God, you came to us in Jesus, and your spirit comes to us today. God, you came to us in Jesus, and your spirit comes to us today. One more time. God, you came to us in Jesus, and your spirit comes to us today. Now stay in that prayerful space. Kind of keep that steady rhythm of your breathing, the same rhythm we've been doing. And now we're going to pray, God, you broke through in Jesus, and your spirit breaks through today. Deep breath in. God, you broke through in Jesus, and your spirit breaks through today. God, you broke through in Jesus. and your spirit breaks through today. God, you broke through in Jesus, and your spirit breaks through today. Again, just continue that rhythm. Keep your breathing at the same pace. And God, as we synchronize our breathing and try to slow our heart rates here, you are the God that is in all and present to all. And so you are present to our slowing down heart rates, to the peace that we are experiencing in our bodies. We can find you there breaking through the darkness that any of us may be experiencing at this time at this season, right now in our lives. And you are present and breaking through by your spirit to the things that are much larger than us that grieve us.
We pray that you would settle us in this place of hope, expectation, and peace in our bodies, that we may receive the decisions that are before us this week from a place of calm, that we may receive the the stresses that are before us in this week from a place of calm, that we may receive the news that we hear about around the world from a place of calm, and that we may receive your voice inviting us to join in that work of making ways out of no ways, whether it is for the person next to us, a loved one, a neighbor, or whether it is joining ourselves to these larger things that take a great deal of cooperation between you, God, and us as people to change. We synchronize our breathing. We slow down our heart rates to receive from you this morning. One more time we pray. God, you broke through in Jesus, and your spirit breaks through today. Amen.